If I got hit by a bus, you can access all this stuff. I don't even, I never acknowledged receiving this admin password. Well, I'll put it in my will and testament. I'll, I'll encrypt it with base64 and you'll be able to Encrypt it with one. your blood. I'll write it in an XML file. <laughs> so you're the only one that can. <laughs> so you're the only one that can figure it out how to get yeah, to totally. it. Totally. In, in an XML file, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll make sure I XML soap request it from the server. about podcasting gear setups you can do all the talking i can make fun of you you want to do that we can do that sure i we've mean we've had, we've had a couple of people ask us about this stuff okay that we've used, done and we've mentioned decision made a little bit yeah all right so we've had a few people ask us about the equipment that we're using to record our podcast because we are up and coming voices in technology and people want to listen to us and people always want to know what content creators uh, are using to make their stuff. I mean, every every single YouTube channel that I watch, of somebody who does any kind of tech reviews, they always, 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 always have some sort of video that's like, the tour of all the gear that I use. Here are my four red weapon 8K cameras. And here are my 16 Canon C500s and all that kind of stuff. We do not have that much stuff. But we do have some unique things, I think, that are interesting to talk about. So just to kind of go down the list of stuff that we're using... Microphones, we are using the Samson Q2U. Not the Samsung, Samson. Samsonite? Not Samsonite, Samson. Uh, these are microphones that kind of look like the handheld microphones that like somebody talking at an event usually is holding. They're the longer kind of tube style. But these are interesting because they have both USB and XLR connections. XLR connections are kind of the bigger, rounder connection that's used for like these analog style microphones. So if you're a podcaster and you're going on your own and you just have your own computer and you just need one mic, this mic is going to work for you. If you're like our setup where you've got multiple people in the same room recording at the same time through an XLR device of some sort, these mics will also still work for you. But what you can't do is run both of them on USB. What you are going to have a hard time doing is running two mic USB microphones on the same computer at the same time into the individual tracks. I don't understand that. I don't know. Call. It's call, gotta be call Logitech. Call Samsung. I don't no, know. No, it probably ha- it problems. has to do with Mac for sure. Well, considering it's the same problem on Windows and Linux as well. Linux. Now, to be fair, Linux probably is not a good example because it, there's some hacking that I need to do to make all the audio channels talk to each other correctly on these machines, but. It's a thing. People have tried and people have failed. So we have proper equipment. We don't have to deal with that. It's not really that big a deal to me. I don't really mind that much. I do. So we've got the two Samsung Q2Us. Uh, We are running them as XLR. And we are running them into a USB audio interface. And this one is the Behringer UMC404 HD. Uh, The USB audio interface connects via USB to your computer. Gives you four channels of four independent tracks of recording into whatever recording software you use. And so this allows us to record my microphone and your microphone separately. Yeah, that's what that box does. That's what this box does. You have the gain, 
on each one so we can set the levels individually. This also outputs the signal that we listen to so we can monitor ourselves while we talk. So Greg's over here looking at the box, what I affectionately call the box. So the, the USB audio interface that we have. Yeah, Albert. What's in the box? What? Oh, God. I had to do it. DCMA. DCMA. Anywho. The USB audio interface is just the beginning kind of of all this. So the our mics are going directly into this thing, but this piece of hardware has inserts in the back. What the insert does is it allows you to kind of loop the audio through something external and bring it back in via one jack. The reason why this is important is that the 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 big thing in our setup is this piece up here. It's the Behringer MDX4600. This is a Dynamics processor. It has four channels of processing. And it gives us fun things like noise gating, compression with adjustable controls, and a limiter with a little bit of shaping in there as well. And the reason why this helps us so much is that this will apply a lot of the effects that I would be doing in post to fix the audio of how we talk, but it does it up front. It does it at the time of the recording. So it fixes a lot of the audio that goes in and it gets quote-unquote printed to the waveform as it gets recorded. What? Printed? Printed. So that means the audio that goes in that gets recorded is actually somewhat processed already. It already has some of the, most of the processing done. So it saves me a lot of time on the back end. Whereas before we had this, I was applying all that stuff in post and I had to make these very fine adjustments at multiple times in the actual waveform for every single episode. And that takes forever. It takes a long time. It's exponential, as I say. Can't you just like do it once at the end of the track when you're done editing it? You or can, you but like a lot, but block. in order to kind of get everything kind of, it's, it's kind of a balance. There's not like a fix everything button. It's Why not? What? It's a Mac computer. You just fix that's, everything button. That's not how. Oh, is that how, not how Linux works? They don't have fix everything No, that's buttons? not how audio works. Feels like this should be something that AI should do. Uh, some of it's to taste. So my AA tastes good. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> tastes great. Some of it is a personal taste. Um, I think that we probably use a little bit less processing, maybe than other people do. Certainly in post, because a lot of a lot of the processing that this unit does for us up front handles a lot of things I would be doing in post. But we've got the noise gate, which kind of eliminates some of the noise. Uh, that's below a certain level that comes into a microphone. It's not that. Oh, sorry. Not that. I thought it was a super noise gate that was built by AI. No. Greg's over here tapping the thing that's holding his microphone. He's like, why is it making so much noise? Yeah, why I is, want. Why is it making so much noise? I want excellence. Not this. I don't know. that. Uh, like, I'll, I'll be very interested to see if that makes it. I think and it's better. I do think it's less. It's so, not going to go away. So what less. Greg is talking about is that I actually just over the weekend picked up a couple of these uh, shock mounts for microphones that we're using. And these things are kind of designed to hold the microphone uh, suspended between a few heavy-duty rubber bands. And so what that does is that if you bump into the mic stand, if you bump to the table where the mic is sitting, or if you do what Greg does and like touches the mic when I tell him not to. I'm not doing anything. I'm listening. It's supposed to absorb that, that sound. It's supposed to not transfer that sound into the microphone. This is the first time we've been using them, so we'll see how that works out. 
I think it's definitely better. I think it's better. I think that since it's making a lot of the noise that would come through the mics when you touch things you're not supposed to touch, it's making a very low frequency rumble. A lot of the EQing that I'm doing in mastering over audio tracks uh, cuts out that part of the frequency spectrum anyway. So if it eliminates that in that way, if it eliminates that noise in that way, then these are worth the money. I think it'll be okay. So we've gone over the mics, gone over the USB interface, Dynamics processor. The other piece of our rack is that I have and this is completely unnecessary, but I, I, I really wanted it. Um, I have a rack mount headphone amplifier slash splitter. Uh, I would not have picked this up had I not found a really good deal on this on eBay because this model is discontinued. Uh, it's made by Marantz. I used to install Marantz equipment. Marantz makes very high-end audio equipment. Uh, they made this headphone splitter for a few years, but it's been discontinued, I think, since like 2016 or something like that. The RHA-6, I picked it up on eBay for a song. I thought it would have been cool to have a whole rack full of equipment and, and blinking lights. I mean, if you could, you would just get more boxes. I could, but it'd be excessive at this point. I've thought about this. I've thought about this, and we really don't need anything else. Really don't need anything else at this point uh, in terms of making our audio work. But the headphone splitter amplifier thing uh, is receiving the real-time audio output signal from the USB device and is splitting it into a total of six different potential headphone outputs. Greg is using the one all the way over on the left. I'm using the one all the way over on the right. Because you got to get that digital separation. No, it's because that one's just closer to you and this is closer to me. Oh, I thought it was like a reason <laughs> they need to be farther apart. No, there's, it's literally just six channels of the exact same signal. Yeah, but the closer they are, the more gain they pick up. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense, mister. I know I everything about kidding. audio. Anywho, that that this this is this was kind of a splurge because um, headphone splitting or signal splitting for the output is actually very easily doable with much cheaper pieces of equipment. But this thing looks cool. It gave us enough headphone outputs to cover potential guests. If we have mm. any other guests, uh, and it just looks cool. And Morant stuff is really well made, and it made me happy to have something called Morant in my rack. So. All in all, this equipment on the kind of the outboard gear, if you will, not the software, but the actual hardware itself uh, has been working really well for us. Longtime listeners of this show will know that early in the early days, our audio had problems. Well, yeah, it's because you were using a one, like about a two channel. We're, we're using uh, one of the inputs on the other USB device we're using is actually designed for a guitar level input which is where all that noise came from. So that was the one that was on your voice. That was the one that was on my microphone, yes. <clears throat> because, yeah. again, Letterman, Brad Pitt. <laughs> I don't know about that, but okay. I'm pointing at myself. Letterman, pointing at Greg, Brad Pitt. Mm. So we've made these changes. They've worked out really well for us. Uh, so at the end of the day, all this signal goes into my laptop, my old laptop, my Dell XPS 15. Model number is 9530. It's from 2015. It has a touchscreen. It has a touchscreen. Did you ever accidentally touch it and stop the recording? Uh, no, because I don't ever actually touch up there, but I have like instinctively reached out and went, what is that? And touch the screen and like make my mouse go there. Can you turn off the touchscreen? Probably could. I haven't tried. 
I, I don't instinctively it... think to touch it ever. So it's not never a problem for me. Does also, I'm the kind Linux? of person. Yeah, it works fine. Like, don't do it. No. It oh, fine. I broke the audio. No, it didn't. It's, <laughs> it's still going. Uh-huh. You want so badly to blame Linux for breaking our audio. I was actually blaming the touchscreen, but. No, touch touchscreen works fine. Um, Until it, it just shows up as like another input device. It's not really. It's basically like a big. It's like a big mouse. Mouse pad. Yeah, really, all it is. Uh, so, we are using Bitwig Studio, which is a digital Bitwig. audio workstation that is a piece of software that I actually just had uh, because I was using it for the music production hobby that I have uh, for writing songs and such. Uh, that part of it is very doable with. Uh, either much lower cost software or free software as well. Uh, I know a lot of people like to use Audacity, which is a free and open source piece of software that's cross-platform, works on everything, and will get the job done for you. A lot of people on Mac like Logic or GarageBand or whatever their machines happen to come with. Uh, GarageBand's default. I used to like Logic when I was thinking I was going to be a DJ. Yeah, Logic is really good. Logic is... uh, a piece of software that a lot of professional musicians and music producers use to do that. So it works really well. has a, a lot of nice built-in effects that come in really handy for podcasters. And you can do all of your mixing and mastering on there too. So, so what you're saying what is we like have a use. better podcast if you had a Mac? No. It would be no. exactly the same. Would it? Yeah. You just said it has cool stuff. It has cool stuff. It has stuff that is also cool. Oh. It's not cooler. See, like, there, there's... There's no cooler versus not cool. Like everything has different options. It's all a matter of taste. Mm. All a matter of taste. Mm-hmm. I find mm. the the multi-track layout and the options for how to manipulate tracks in Bitwig Studio a little bit more flexible and intuitive for me than Logic. That might not be the case with everybody. Different people have different workflows. I know producers... I've seen videos of producers who literally the only piece of hardware that they use is their laptop and they write all their songs and like map out all the notes and everything with just a keyboard. I've seen people with just rooms full of vintage synthesizers and That's BT, man. He's all so dope. kinds of... I follow him on Instagram. The man. one I was thinking of is Chromio. Oh, yeah. They have, a, they have a studio here in Los Angeles and they, there was a video I saw of them where it's a little bit, literally a room the size of my apartment. It was just full to the walls, to the ceilings of... All manner of just completely out there synthesizers that made all kinds of crazy, amazing, weird noises. Yeah, BT has like like shelves they pull out, and on them is like every single classic piano, like MIDI PC piano thing. Yep, and they're all like plugged into the sound system, and you can record all of them. Yeah, he does stuff like that, and then so, he has like an old like Macintosh that he like recorded his first album on. Yep, still running. Dead Mouse's uh, house prior to his crazy new house with the crazy studio that's actually technically suspended in air uh, was like that as well where he had kind of walls of... Does it really need to be suspended in air? What does it do? Sound isolation, yeah. In terms of being isolated from other vibrating parts of the house. So like if you're in a room that's attached to... This is so off topic. uh, That's attached to like the exterior walls or like load-bearing walls. Mm -hmm. The frequencies of the sound will vibrate those parts of the house. And so those vibrations feed back into... But how much do you really hear it? 
You know? There are different schools of thought. This is what I'm saying is that there's no one true way to do all this stuff. There's different preferences. There's a guy uh, who composes a lot of movie soundtracks that we like. Uh, he goes by Junkie XL uh, on YouTube and Instagram. He did the Tomb Raider soundtrack. He did the, I think he did one of the Batman soundtracks. Uh, but he, his studio is purposefully not sound treated because hmm. he, his approach is the people listening to my music are not going to be in some yeah, perfect, not be sterile in like a perfect sterile environment. Room. So why would I mix and tune this recording to make it sound a certain way in that environment when nobody will ever listen to it. I like that guy. That's my kind of guy. So again, it's different, different, different strokes, different folks. It all sounds good. It all sounds great. I've been in one of those rooms before. At my college, they had a department of music and they had like a state-of-the-art music room. Like like the the music division of the school was built in like a state-of-the-art building and they had multiple... Of those rooms, there's like a sound scale that they have, like ours, like RS24 or something like that. I don't yeah, know, like and like the levels. shape of the room is like correct. It's like mm-hmm. kind of oblong shaped and like offset, and like the ceiling probably angles up and all this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it was one of those rooms, but it was actually suspended. But it was like a huge room. Yeah, and they had like an orchestra room that was. I don't think that one was suspended, but the recording room was suspended, and you like walked through it, and it would immediately go from being like. Felt like that. Well, there's a difference between what you're trying to get from like an analog chamber, which is no sound at all whatsoever, and something like a like a famous concert hall. Yeah, they have which is like profiles. there's a like a there's a certain type of sound you're looking for. And the well, things you're have, really trying to eliminate yeah. are things like reflect like weird reflections, weird frequencies coming off of certain parts of the room, and that's why anytime you go to like a concert hall or any sort of symphony orchestra playing type of place, you always see the ceiling slopes up and away from the stage. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's usually kind of a wedge shape. So the sides usually expand out like this. And what that does is that pre- prevents the really harsh first order reflections mm-hmm. of certain frequencies. Because the thing is with these, especially in like box-shaped apartments like we're in right now, uh, the frequencies that tend to bounce off first from these surfaces are ones that human ears really don't like. So they're really, really kind of high fizzy level ones. Mm-hmm. And then the kind of low rumbly kind of ones that sound like um, your, I don't know. Yeah, that. You're in the back <laughs> of like it even a comes train through, we don't or know. like you're going up a really yeah. old rickety roller coaster or something like that. So some of that stuff is practical in terms of eliminating very specific frequencies. But like there's a, there is a point past where the practicality of it is no longer practical. So I think they even had at my school, they had a, that room. I'm pretty sure this is true. I remember this being true, but they had the ability to replicate any symphony hall's sound from that room because the speakers were like a system that would yeah. repeat and create echoes and reverberations that would make it sound like you were in like the famous symphony halls. Yeah. You can record, uh, there's a, a whole entire industry around building instruments and software that emulate these specific mm-hmm. sounds, like so for specific instruments, but also specific places as well. So um, things that add reverb, which is that echoey kind of effect that you hear uh, in music. There are all kinds, all manner of pieces of software that plug into EAWs like this 
to emulate reverb from a specific location or yeah. specific concert hall or a big room, a small room, a long room, a short room, a tall room. And that, that software has gone really, really good. Yeah, my, say, my dad was so. telling me about one of those. He has one that's for guitars and it basically can emulate the sound of any guitar amp that you could ever have. Yeah, the software, the software emulating guitar sounds has been around for a long, like ever since I was even in high school when I started playing guitar. It wasn't as good back then. It is really, really good now. Mm -hmm. really good where mm -hmm. to the point where people are starting to say like why am I looking around this giant amplifier yeah they don't he was telling me that like some of the bigger like non super classical guitar people that are like I'm never going to do that but like some of the newer people they just bring a box and plug it into the PA system yeah. and then they play whatever guitar they want but then it's like they bring the guitar but then the the, the amp stacks just are emulated they can, you can run it off a laptop. You can run it off a piece of rack mount hardware like this. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a company called Line 6 that's very, that's one of the major players in that kind of segment. And they build rack mount pieces where it has all the emulating stuff built into it. And then it has all the outputs in the back. Can so you get an emulator so that my voice sounds like a guitar amp? Why would you want that? Okay. I, have, I mean, I have a distortion plugin on this. I could put distortion on it if you want. Do you want that in post? Radio thing. I don't even know what that would sound like. <laughs> I know that, that's Let's a technique that uh, musical mastering people do where they want to like kind of add just a little bit of emphasis to things like vocals and things like that. They'll add a very, very small amount of different types of distortion to kind of emphasize certain kind of harmonic frequencies and make it sound a little bit more. So coming cool. next episode, I don't have a nasally voice. I mean, you sound fine. Well, everybody always sounds stupid to themselves and they listen to themselves. Everybody thinks that they sound stupid on recording, which that is the number one, going back to podcasting, that's the number one thing that stops people from starting their own podcast is that they think they sound stupid. Hmm. Uh, you don't sound stupid, you sound like you. What if you are stupid? Well, like, you know what? I'm sure there's a market for that. What if I'm like really dumb? What if you're really dumb? Real I mean, dumb. Like guys, I don't even know how to code. <laughs> We don't know anything about coding. No. We don't know anything. About, I mean, you don't know anything about CSS, so... Are you even a real program if you don't know CSS? No, I'm smart enough to know that I don't want to know about CSS, actually. I'm kind of like that with Java. No, man, Java. I think I would have liked Java if I had you known like more about it. It's the same idea. It's the same idea. Except Java's worse. I think I'd be okay with it. I, mm -hmm. I think my, my biggest problem is, is that the examples I've seen of working Java... Again, super tangent. The examples I've seen of working Java have not been like the pinnacle examples of what you want Java to be. Like they haven't been good Java. I don't think Java even knows what Java wants to be. That's true. I mean, it does. It's like, it's, it's just the oop like heaven for people. Is who there like a, are there web frameworks built around Java? Yeah. Symphony or no, Spring. 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 Okay. Symphony is PHP. It's dope too. But so Spring. if I just wanted to date jujitsu. If I had, let's say, like, I want to build my front end in Gatsby and I want to connect to a Java API-based backend. I would probably you tell you to use Spring. Spring. Yeah, for sure. Are there any other, are there any other things out there that are, like, similar or competitive? Pretty sure that Spring is, like, the de facto standard. There are, yes, but Spring is, like, the de facto standard MVC framework for Java. Okay. And it's really good. And like it, it follows like a all lot, the actually. typical MVC kind of patterns. Yeah, it's, it's well, it's gotten a lot where uh, these days it kind of like removes controllers. 
there's like a lot of um well that's that's data repositories in what people have been doing though yeah but it's not like a mvvm or anything like that or like a view it's just abstracting star. away the controllers or something the else. controllers end up becoming like parts of factories but anyways right. we're getting that as a tangent that is a tangent so, but yeah but but if you kids were going to do something in java and you needed to do like a web framework of any kind or like a like you need to build an api spring mvc is dope i like it a lot gotcha it's actually a pretty damn good framework and it makes That's java cool. more fun what how could that possibly be Java's fun. Coding no, is fun. No, it's just like what? the patterns are really cool. Oh, that makes sense. But then the, some of the configuration and stuff is confusing. But XML, oh. oh. I mean, Ugh. XML is actually way more verbose than JSON. It's bad. That's if you do it enough. No, if you do it enough. It's hard to read. That's the only It's really not if you use, it is, yes, it is hard to read, but it's really not that confusing if you use an editor that knows how to close XML tags like IntelliJ. It's not as bad. It's just hard to read. Part, right? Yeah, it's just much more ver verbose, but every single key in the XML object can have properties. So there can be properties. It's like, it's HTML, kids. It's HTML. It's, just all it's tags. smart. It's smarter. It's all tags. So when, we, when we're doing our Java podcast here, the Java public function show, the last step uh, of when I'm finished with the audio which maybe may, maybe I can talk about my my editing process a little bit too. So you can talk whatever you want. This we, is your audio episode. We are recording in my apartment from here, the future. From the future, we record in. Recording in twenty twenty nine. We don't tell anybody that. They don't know yet. They don't know about the world war. Oh, 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 Ooh. oh, oh! It's too soon for that. Oh. For me, it's too soon. Oh. It was only last year. Oh. Oh. Public function in the future. Mm -hmm. So we record, record into Bitwig Studio. We get the waveforms down. Uh, I have to give it a one run through because Greg likes to curse sometimes, and I have to cut smash that waveform. Uh, I cut out pieces of the show, like so for the little the little stab at the beginning. I usually try to find a funny thing that Greg said or I said, and I put it in there. Uh, align up the intro and outro music. Align up the post show if we have one, and then export that uh, as a wave file. And then the last step of the process is to take that WAV file, pull it up in Audacity, which is another piece of software, uh, mix it down to mono, Oof. and then export it as an MP3 file. Why mono? It's a file size down. Hmm. We have all the data in the world. Just do it in stereo. No one cares. People have data plans. Yeah, then they should just tell their thing not to download it on cellular. I want to be in stereo. Okay, I hear myself in stereo right now. It doesn't, stereo doesn't matter. I hear... It's not worth the file size. Sounds amazing. When I'm in my car, what if, which side do you choose? The left or the right? Because I've heard some podcasts which like... You, which side you, would you No, like I know that on... Um, I think on ATP, they pick a different person, like a different channel for each person. So it sounds like they're talking to each other or something like that. I think they were maybe joking about it or they do it. I don't know. They... But like they say that they like it's like John's on the right channel and Marco's on the left. I never notice it, but it always does seem like it's in stereo. If they're if they're joking about it, that's funny because that's like an inside joke among podcasters. It's like, hey, we should do it in stereo so we can sound like we're really talking to each other. And it doesn't. I think they're probably joking because I mean Marco knows what he's doing. Marco's been doing this a long time, so I would expect that he would know that it's not worth the additional. I mean, he also file makes size. a podcast app, so right. So he would be worried about file size, or he doesn't. Or he does. Or he doesn't. 
Or he does. This is actually stuff that I've actually read his Twitter about, and I actually agree with him on in terms of uh, how to deal with batch requests, how to deal with analytics on large files. What happens with the podcast is that the way the analytics work is that when you go to your podcast app of choice and you hit play on the public function show, that's not just one request to the API and just hit an endpoint and give me an MP3 file back. That typically will split up its requests to that API, to that, to that asset file. Usually four, five, maybe six chunks of it. What are they going to do when HTTP2 comes out and they can actually stream stuff? Well, that'll make things better. And that'll actually make the podcast analytics a lot better too. So back to the batch, batch requests. So what happens is, is that that endpoint for, the, for that MP3 uh, cannot tell the difference between an individual hit and a batch request. So depending on how your podcast player of choice is making those batch requests, how many batch requests it makes, however it decides to make those batch requests, whether it's by length, by file size, by whatever, uh, it can't tell the difference. So one person listening to one episode of the Public Function Show could come through as five hits. It can come through as 20 hits. It can come through as one hit. Seems like they need some request headers. Sessioning going on. Well, like you said, HTTP2, maybe that quick protocol that we talked about before. Maybe that will help, but that's, that's been a thing in, in podcasting analytics for a long time is that uh, it's been difficult to distinguish between. There are new things coming out. There are new protocols coming out that will help with that. And thankfully, our good friend Dan Benjamin over at Fireside uh, is on top of it. And he's taking care of all of it and it's things that we don't have to worry about. So that's kind of the last step of this whole podcast process is that once I have an audio file of all the things that we're doing, I upload it to our podcast CMS of choice, which is Fireside. We've been using them from the beginning. It's been working really well for us. They've been adding new features. Whole time we've been on Did it. Did they make it so you can request the, the background image using the JSON feed? No, but he's on record as saying that he is not. I, I saw him have a conversation with somebody about this in the Slack for Fireside users, and he said that he nobody uses the JSON feed. Except for me. Except for you. Well, the thing is, if you don't have it, how else are you going to request information about the podcast for other uses that aren't listening? XML, bro. Yeah, then it makes a hit to the thing, bro. XML, bro. Just use that XML feed. Smash that XML feed. It Smash makes it, that XML Every button. single time my personal site would read from the XML, it would increase a listen in the analytics. So that's it why should, I switched well, to JSON. That's why, well, it should, you should be handling that client side with your preload false attribute on the actual... But every HTML unique tag. user is a hit to it. Doesn't matter if it's preloaded, isn't it? It's still gonna. They're still no, gonna count as one. No, no, no. If you if you do preload true, what'll happen is that if I hit your website, it'll go and try to get that audio file right away. If you do preload false, it will not actually try to fetch the file until you hit the play button. No, but it's if I'm reading the XML file to get like episode lists or the most recent episode for use on the website, it will eventually make a request for it. Right, but on the client side, in the actual HTML tag itself. No, I'm not using it for the audio feed. I'm talking about if I actually just request the XML feed to get like the name of the podcast. Yeah, those are separate from the actual asset file. Hmm. Right, the asset file lives at a... You some, told some, me some when I was doing it that I was increasing the amount of listens and, I wasn't, and it wasn't related to the audio being preloaded because I didn't change that. I thought it was. Hmm. There is kind of unverifiable bot activity that goes on on these things as well. Some of it is like crawlers from like Spotify and Google and whatnot. But every once in a while, we get weird spikes in traffic that 
come from another user agent, and it's kind of like, hmm, this is, these are not people. Hmm. Kind of, it, those are pretty easy to figure out. But those don't have anything to do with the hosting or how we code or whatever. There was one instance where I was working on uh, accessing our JSON feed, and I had the preload on on an audio tag. And I was actually hitting a URL directly because I was just trying to test out and see if it worked. And that was counting as a hit every time. And the way I knew this is because it said Chromium user agent on Ubuntu in California. I was like, that's me. Hmm. Pretty sure that's me. Really, really sorry about that, Greg. Pretty sure that one was me. We don't magically have a bunch of super hippie Linux users down the street from us listening to our show. I mean, we should, (laughs) considering you love Linux so much, there should be people listening to you. I am a fan of Linux. You are more than a fan of Linux. I'm happy that we can do our entire show on Linux. If I took your Linux computer and threw it out the window, you'd probably just murder me. No, because the thing about using Linux is that you can never really get married to like one machine. You're always in this cycle of new computers. Oh man, you're like in the cloud. All the time. Well, it's not just in the cloud. It's more just like you change how you do things. Like you never store anything locally, really. I mean, I don't store anything locally on my computer. Except for like configuration. And I do have photos on it right now because I haven't gotten an external drive. Yeah, but yeah, but configuration, even the configurations you keep. Elsewhere. I'm going to get a, I'm going to, one of these days I'm going to get a, a NAS. Wireless NAS. You go Synology. I think I'm going to get a Synology. Probably going to get the four bay one. Oh, those are pricey. It's 250 bucks. The four bay one is not 250 bucks. Yes, it is. No, it's like, it's like. With no hard drives. Bucks. Yeah. Uh, what device? kind of hard drives are you get? I don't know. I don't need a lot of space. I just well, you talked me out of getting only two because you're talking about RAID and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you want RAID though. You want redundancy. I was just gonna do RAID five or whatever with one hard drive with and only and lose half the space. I don't care. If I get like four terabytes, my computer has like nothing on it. it has like no, fifty the terabytes. Of, the point of RAID five. Such a <sighs> the point of RAID five is to be able to use a more than two size disk array and only lose one drive. Yeah, but if I had so one... So if you have eight drives, you only lose one. If you have two drives, you lose one. All right? So if mm-hmm. you only have two drives, you do RAID 1, which basically makes an exact copy of every piece of data that goes in there on both drives. You can yeah, lose that's either perfect for me because I have four... I'll have like four terabytes of space. Or I can get a 10 terabyte drive and I have two... And I have 10 terabytes of redundant space. 10 terabytes are... 10 terabyte drives these days. 600 bucks, 700 bucks a pop. Well, I'm not gonna. I don't need the space right now. I'm telling. You, I only have, I have like, I have like a hundred gigabytes on my laptop. But if you have storage space, you will use the storage space. No, I don't. I don't live my life storing things. I just wanted it for backups, and I wanted it for photography. So I probably would fill it with photos, but not ten terabytes worth. I was saying that too, and then through the process of producing the show, bringing it back, uh, some of the kind of raw files that I end up with in terms of collecting all the files together. So the, the, the voice recording of my voice, the voice recording of your voice, the uncompressed uh, WAV file that's exported, and then the, the finalized, compressed, modified MP3 file, all those together, plus the show notes, plus the artwork all together. One of our previous episodes, uh, all those working files came up to just shy of 10 gigs for one show. For one episode. You should delete the RAWs and just keep the JPEG. Well, the, that's the thing. It's like, I have keep the, plans. Keep the MP3. I have plans. What are you going to do? Remaster them all in the master edition? <laughs> Director's cut, man. Director's cut. I don't know if you have director authority to do whatever you want. I have all the passwords. We never actually <laughs> talked about this. 
I always make that joke about having all the passwords, but really, I I sent you a, an admin invite for Fireside. It's the it's under the public function show email address, not my personal email address. So if I got hit by a bus, I I made sure if I got hit by a bus, you can access all this stuff. I don't even. I never acknowledged receiving this admin password. Well, I'll put it in my will and testament. I'll I'll encrypt it with base sixty four, and you'll be, you'll be encrypted with your blood. I'll write it in an XML file, <laughs> so you're the only in one that can. <laughs> in your blood, with so a you're pen. the only one that can figure it out how to yeah, get to totally. it. Totally in, in an XML file, yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll make sure I XML soap requested from the server. Yes, you have to hit a very specific using endpoint. struts. Yes, using struts. Soap struts. The endpoint is uh, endpoint is TypeScript is my favorite language. dot com slash API slash v two. Really, what was v one? <laughs> V2, man. Everything is V2. It's not good if it's not V2. Never start on V1. Never, ever. There's no such thing as V1. Just no, skip. always V2. If you're at like 0.9, just go to like 1.8. Go to 4.0. Go for Isn't yeah. that what uh, Ang- Node did? That's what Angular did. No, Node stayed on like 0.14 for a long time. And then there was this thing called IOJS. Yes. They that was off. improving yeah. everything. And it was like run by corporations and, and didn't stuff. didn't they come back in? And then eventually they solved like some disagreement and IOJS and Node Core merged. And then it just took on a life of its own. And now well, it's they, they redid 12.0. The, they redid the release numbers. <laughs> yeah, they used like a legit. But that was like all the corporate involvement. I don't know. I don't even know how the original guy who created Node is still involved. I don't know enough about I don't that. think he is. Yeah, I think it's taken on a life of its own. That guy's like on a boat somewhere. Yeah. Maybe it's like that episode. Writing and you know what he's writing? He's probably on a boat writing in Haskell. Yeah. He's definitely writing in uh, like Colin. C++, man. Colin. You know what I saw the other day that I thought you'd find interesting? Mm. Again, staying on our tangent level. There is a web framework for C++. Mm. It's called JavaScript. But um, Everything is C, buddy. It's one of the classics. One of the classics. Yeah. Uh, no, it's uh, called Blazor. Bla- really? Blazor. 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 Blazor, Blazor. Blazor with lasers. Blazor, Blazor. Uh, it's maintained by Microsoft. Of course it is. Makes perfect sense. Uh, I think they have like a whole setup with Visual Studio for it. And they were slowly trickling some of these features into Visual Studio code. And I think that's the idea behind it. Honestly, I don't know why anybody would use this. Maybe if you're like a super... If you want to... I mean, web components C++. are coming. If you want a really, really fast web framework... C++ is the way to go. If you really love straight Visual to the blood, Studio, man, straight to the straight to the core, right into the veins, right into the veins, man. Yeah, I guess that makes all sense. JavaScript is is a really crappy API on top of C++. That's true. That's true. So uh, there's so that's, that. That's one uh, worth checking out. Uh, but I do want to talk about Fireside a little bit more. Um, so I heard about Fireside from listening to Dan Benjamin and the Five by Five shows uh, religiously over the years. I learned a lot about how to do podcasting stuff from listening to The Podcast Method, which is a show that he did uh, two seasons of. I believe he said that he's bringing it back soon. But if you're interested in podcasting at all, the technique of podcasting, how to do it, uh, that's definitely recommended. Uh, he hasn't done an episode in a while, but he has said, again, in the Fireside Slack, that he is bringing back new episodes for that, which I'm very excited about. So what he did was that he actually built an entire CMS um, that met his needs for podcasting. And that's what Fireside is. And Fireside is built, I believe it's in built in Rails. Of course it is. Because he's a, he's a, 
uh, Ruby developer from back in the day. That's his kind of original prior to building a podcast empire. That was his day-to-day job. I think it's, he said it's him and one other developer that works on it, which the amount of features that this thing has for being built between two people over there, maybe two or three years is pretty astounding. I'm very I mean, Ruby on Rails is pretty good. Ruby on Rails is pretty good and it works really, really well for this use case, right? Because ultimately what the host is in our situation is just a CMS, mm-hmm. right? We, we input a bunch of stuff, we upload some assets, we hit publish, and that gets pushed out into an API. Yeah. And they, pr- they provide a website template for people to use that just consumes that API. And it figures out, and you can give it a URL, so it passes the DNS, and, it, and they built an analytics tracking engine on top of um, ta- a, a tagging system that already exists for, for podcasts. So for that sort of use case, uh, Rails is fantastic. There's, There's no, no webpack in that, man. There's no webpack. You know, he's using... I gave, I gave him a hard time for this in the Slack, but he was using kind of off-the-shelf bootstrap for a lot of the front-end styling for a long time. And they've slowly but steadily been kind of chipping away at the default. What are they replacing it? Oh, the defaultness. Defaultness. So they went from rounded corner buttons to squared off buttons. They replaced the font. They changed some of the box shadows and some of the things. Like very small things, but... It doesn't it, take that much to it make Bootstrap look different. Yes. I so. learned that when I was working on an internal project, my previous job. Where the first time I built it, I used out of the box Bootstrap three, and then when I rebuilt it in React, I used React Strap and Bootstrap four, and then once I did that, it already started to look better because the Bootstrap four theme was better, and then I just like went through and I probably wrote like maybe a hundred lines of CSS, and it looked completely different. Yeah, I remember what project you're talking. And it about. wasn't, and it looks so much better. Yeah, you were you changed some of the button colors. Did you did you go to square button square corner buttons? I think that, that was one. Of the uh, I think that you I did. used the default. Maybe I did, but I don't know. I think I used the default that it that Bootstrap four might have been a React Strap might have already been square buttons. I don't know. I th- but I think I went to the ones that were transparent backgrounds instead of like the full colors. Oh, so the outline style ones. The outline yep. stylings or something like that. I don't know, but it, it ended up looking like so much better. And it wasn't for someone who doesn't know CSS and doesn't want to do any CSS. It wasn't that much CSS to write. No, it's not. It's My not. personal website uh, has more CSS, and I'm still fighting the defaults in terminal.css. I have to use like importance and crap because they define yeah, stuff. That's how it goes. That's how it works. I don't like it. That's how it works. No, I, lo- I actually like terminal.css. It looks cool, and it makes my site look like a site that I would build. Um, but there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all CSS framework. No. You will always have to make adjustments no matter what. So. Well, it's like in annoying ways where I have to override things. But anyways, it's, it's beside the point. But I wrote my first blog, blog post. Oh, snap. Did you publish it? Yeah. Are you live? Oh, you beat me to it. Okay. Right. You want to talk about it? It's just a blog post about... Because I, I was trying to find... Like... Okay, so there's a couple things that are really annoying about it. But basically, it's an article about how to set up a very basic database using... MAMP, I know, brings it back. MAMP and uh, SQL Pro. Because oh. I was like, I was trying to find an example of that to send to someone and I couldn't find an article that was like from that time because a lot of blogs that were around when people were using MAMP like five years ago or so 
the blogs just don't exist, so there's no articles about it. So I just like wrote an article about how to set up MAMP. I haven't really, I didn't really double check all the writing, so it's probably not that great. And then the annoying thing, I think I'm going to remove the blog from being on Contentful. <gasps> I don't want to like bag on it because I probably am just not using it right. But man, I think there's two key things that I could do to make it better. One is that I want to use the long text versus the rich text for the bottom, the description for the, for the body because I want to use Markdown. Like I was doing like a bunch of crap to make, I, I want to just get, I might just do that might actually be enough because I want to remove the rich text to react library that makes you do a bunch of weird stuff. Oh yeah. To make it work. And if I do the Markdown one, then I can use Glamour or whatever it's called. And just like the one that's built into Gatsby. The one that comes with all the Gatsby blog stuff. I think it's Glamour. Emotion? Whatever it is. Glamour, I think, is the My, CSS. No, that, Glamour sounds right. I think it's Glamour. It's one of those. But that one, you just pass it Markdown and it renders it. And That's I think, the one you want, then. Because the one that I was, the one that I'm using right now, I think would have problems. Like, I was eventually going to enable my blog on dev.2 as an RSS feed for myself. But I don't, I didn't want to, I didn't have the time to test that to see how well my, my articles would get ingested into dev.2. And I think if it was Glamour and Markdown, it'd be better because I think yeah. that's what they use. Because Gatsby has a RSS feed plugin as well. You just no, I, I did that. In. I set it up. Oh, okay. So you're And it's, it's, already, it's already pulling only the types of blog or article in Contentful because I did the custom query. I did everything. It's, it's the RSS feed works. Uh, it only pulls the blog articles. It has all the descriptions. Everything's there. The short text, the subtext, the link, everything is there. Um, but the body content, I don't even I don't remember what it looks like. I don't know. I didn't. I think it was only using the description, so it didn't have the full body. Which so it was just pure text. So you weren't getting access to all the fields. No, like you don't usually pass the whole article to the RSS feed. It's only this, like the, the intro subtitle. And that was all working. But if, if Dev.2 were to like read my site and ingest the whole article, which is what they do, I don't know if it would work. So I didn't get to test that. The other thing that was really annoying is managing assets is really annoying. Inside of a blog post. Inside of the blog post, inside of Contentful, you have to add in, you have to basically create you can't even in the rich text thing, you can't just paste like a Giphy URL and have it be like an image from a source. Mm. You have to upload it as a content piece and then it gets in. Then oh, it, it, gets can't, it can't point to anything external? No, and you, oh. and you can't write, you can't write just straight markup in it. Like oh. you can't put like a YouTube embed link mm. or a GIF embed link. Mm -mm. Whereas you can with Markdown because Markdown is just a subset of HTML. So I don't know. Uh, I think I'm going to change that, but I was looking at, what is that? Uh, what is that blogging platform that's like sounds like a like wood? It's like um, forestry.io. I want to use that for the blog. I think yes, friend of the show. We had a friend of the show that probably mentioned this, both <laughs> of us on the same day, because he he slacked me mm. and he said he had talked to you. I know, I know who you're talking about. And he told me I've been chatting with him a lot lately. He told me to tell you. Yeah. That we should talk about forestry.io. So that's the next episode then. Okay. So I gotta episode. use it. So it actually looks good because. As a Gatsby plugin, does the markdown as code in your actual GitHub, 
And I think it has a thing where like it'll, it'll, it'll rebuild the caches and everything when you deploy. So that actually, I think, will work better for you than just doing raw markdown in your code. Well, if it rebuilds the ca- I don't want it to take over my CircleCI thing. I just want it to literally be a source API for the blog. Might be worth checking out. It might be worth checking out. So the thing I have to figure out is whether or not I can have two sources. I think you can in Gatsby where one of them is going to be still contentful for the content, but then the blog would be forestry because... I would do Ghost, but it's so expensive. I also don't know how much forestry costs, but whatever. I want to have something where I can just write in Markdown. If they have a mobile app so I can blog from my phone, that would be amazing. Rather than like... Just write code from your phone. No, I just want to... Because I think that you'll have to... We want you to deep dive on this. Yeah, because I want to talk about it. But And we want you to talk about it. I think I'm going to replace the blog only on Contentful because Contentful is very good, but it's only really good for creating... Content. Content. But it's not designed for blog. It's not a blog design. No, but not. you know what? The funny thing is they could do that, but they it's not really in their wheelhouse. It's not their thing. It's they, not their they technically thing. works. You can create a rich text field and you can do it, or you can create a long text field and you can write a markdown. So from their point of view, it's there. It's just it's just not like enjoyable. It's not like WordPress. Even making blog articles on WordPress is, is more enjoyable than the contentful UI for that particular purpose. Yeah, I think that part of it is that a lot of these newer uh, headless CMSs have learned the lessons of of WordPress and are not. They are specifically trying to not do everything. Yeah. So something like Contentful is very good at just managing just raw content. So you could have a team of just content managers go in there and manage everything. And not but the thing problems. is, it doesn't have like approval workflows. So I don't know. It doesn't have that. The other thing I can't get to work, and I actually disabled. We talked about this a little bit when I talked about my blog, but. I could not get the webhooks to work correctly. There's no combination of webhook settings that allows me to like save, 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 save the article or whatever I'm writing and then publish. There's no, con- there's a concept of autosave, but there's no like intentional save. Right. You talked about that last time. Yeah. Where you, where you basically have to, if you accidentally publish something, it triggers a circle CI build. And then when I was working on this blog article, I ended up with, it was the first time where I like ever actually was like writing something really quick. I ended up with 34 Circle CI triggers <laughs> with 34 jobs waiting to run. Because you wrote 33 characters and it saved well, after every single one. No, it was like more like when I accidentally published uh, a, like an image instead of just saving it. It would go from draft uh, to publish. That counts as a publish too, which triggers Circle mm, CI, which triggers a build. Mm. And then Circle CI is supposed to it's supposed to cancel duplicate jobs that are triggered from a workflow and it doesn't seem to work or I'm not doing it right. I've had a lot of these kind of problems lately, but I basically went to go write this blog article to like really quickly explain to someone how to set up my SQL on MAMP with Laravel and then I spent four, like three hours fixing my blog because I realized like certain things weren't working. Some I needed some markup. Tr- terminal.css had all images set to 100% width by default. I do yeah. not know why. Sounds about right to me. Why? So they take up the width of their container? Yeah, but what if they're in a container that is not like nested and doesn't have a height set on it? Fix your container, bro. Is that what it is? Am I supposed to define the width of the container that holds the image? Well, it's a little bit backwards because you're trying to design your markup around the CSS and that's not the order of things. But again, like we were talking about before, there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all CSS. There will always be adjustments, and especially something like a terminal or like for me, a water CSS. Those are designed to be 
sane defaults. They're not designed to be the, all right, here's your finished product. No, I didn't expect it to be, but like, why? That's when you're going to run into the things like. No, but like I I couldn't, I would have had to create an article image container that has a certain width of like 50% and then lets the images height scale inside of that. But it's like. No, with with 100% for an image in CSS is a sane default. Yes. All right, I'll take your word for it. I don't care about CSS, but that seemed weird to me because then I had to like override it. Like I have them on the other parts of the site, I have them set at 100%, but on the mobile breakpoint. So that makes sense to me. They should always be 100% on mobile. Mobile first. But it's not because he because you have to add, There's it's not like there's media queries built into it. There's no like, there's no um, gridding or any kind of media queries in Terminal. It's just straight CSS. Yeah, that's what mobile first means is that means the default state of the CSS that it's thinking of is mobile. Okay, that's fair, but it was weird. It is but weird. I guess I don't do enough CSS for it to not be weird. CSS is weird. So I dealt with that. And uh, the blog article's there. Um, but I think I'm going to, I think before I write any more amounts of things, I think I'm going to, I, I, I'm probably going to base my decision on what blog thing I use around how complex of webhooks it has, honestly. Because... The circle CI part works, assuming the thing that's triggering the webhook is smart enough to know when I want to trigger it. And Contentful doesn't have that option. It actually does if you pay for it. There's a concept of deploying to environments, which is to pay for it. That makes sense. Well, Seems like a lot, though. You all, it sounds like you've got more investigation to do. Maybe you but just build almost, your own CMS. No, I'm, I'm happy with the rest of Contentful for everything else. But the thing is, I don't really change that content very much. The only content I actually change would be the blog. So, I don't know. And in reality, I probably could just remove the entire CMS and just code the website myself. But, oh, man. But I wanted, to have a, I wanted to have a CMS for a very specific purpose. We talked about that. But I wanted that. Um, you could just uh, blog on the publicfunction.show site. One of the nice features about Fireside, bringing it back, has built-in blog functionality that we can choose whether or not to use it. Well, but you'd be writing, you should be writing blogs about making, being a tech person, making a podcast on Public Function Show. It's your blog. You can write whatever you want, man. I give you permission to write whatever you want on the Public Function Show But I'm writing on mine. We talked about this. You told me I should have a blog. We argued about this. You can write your own blog. You can write one for the show. I don't want to write that much. I don't have much time. You, uh, You could do selected works of Gregory Parsons. No, I think I'm just going to... the Function Show blog. But the entire... What I'm saying is that the entire blog system is already built out in Fireside. It is a feature that you can use if you want. It works beautifully with their existing website. But will it trickle circ- trigger Circle CI builds whenever I save? No, you just have to say publish inside the thing. Well, I don't know. I got to do all that. But that was my, my life a little bit this weekend. I was dealing with that. But I wrote a blog article. That's great. We'll have a link to it in the show notes so everybody can read it. Do you have uh, do you have Wait, analytics you gotta, set up on it so people oh. can so you can see how many people will read it? Uh, yeah, it's GA. So you can see. Do you think you'll have three thousand readers or four thousand readers? I think I'll probably have like two. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you'll have to report back on your findings. I still have to do system. one more pass of the entire website's content. So before I like start putting the website on my LinkedIn, I mean the website looks great. I like the way it looks. I got a few things to fix. Like when I was, when I was screwing with the CSS for the blog post, 
I removed some things that were like a, a reset because I realized that the terminal CSS has a reset in it. Um, and they're doing like some weird stuff. Like the font weight is like bold by default on text. What kind of text though? P's. Doesn't Her? make any sense. Yeah. Are they specific P's? Do they have classes on them? No, no. They're like just any P. I'm telling you, man, you should look at it. I don't know what decisions they're made. I'm sure they made them for a reason. I like the way that it looks. It really is the style of how I would have wanted to style it. And I, I did customize a few things. Like I built the nav. I built, I actually built more of that website's CSS than I just used CSS. So I think I did get some good CSS learnings out of it. Um, I don't know. But I got I to gotta change a few things. I think I'm going to go a different route with the blog. And then when that's done, I'll have the website house party. Website, welcome to the neighborhood party. Yeah. I think that'd be a fun time. I would say that either the forestry or just going just raw markdown in your repo. Those are going to be your two options. I, could I do don't know that. if forestry is going to add enough features for you to make it worth dealing with another service. I just want a place where ideally they would allow me to write in markdown and I could just use an app of theirs or Bear or something and have it published to it. But I don't think Forestry would have that integration with Bear. I think only like the big stuff does, like like Medium and things. But I want to be able to write on my iPad with a regular key, like my my uh, my iPad keyboard and not have to worry about having a computer. Or I could have the computer. I don't know. Or I could potentially do it on the phone. Because like... Well, either way, you'd have to be... You have to have access to Git somehow. Even with Forestry. Because your, your markdown that you're writing in Forestry is still going to be part of your repo. Either way. Well, as long as I write it in their tool and it commits it to my repo. I don't that think would actually how, work because then it would trigger a building circle. I don't think it has its out. own editor. Well, then I got to look into it then. Okay. I guess well, I still got more thinkings to do. Investigate I thought it, it had its own editor. I thought it's like a like a service. I think it does. Because I, I read... Then I might as well just write Markdown and commit to the repo. <laughs> If that's what, if that's all that it does, why do I even need forestry? Yes, Daniel Abramoff. Yes, yes, do it. Do it that way. I don't. I don't know. I don't really want to do that. It makes it harder for me to do exactly what I want to do. But then it would be easier for the CI because that's how I commit content, anyways. It actually makes it easier to do exactly what you want to do. It's just more work. But the whole point of the blog is that there's nothing. There's up. nothing impeding me from writing an article. That's the whole point. That's why Ghost is so good. You just go to Ghost and write an article. Yeah, but you don't need all those features. No, I just want a, literally a markdown editor. Yeah, Git, push, origin. No, but I want to be able to do it from an iDevice. I don't want to have to have a computer. But yes, I could technically write it in IA Writer, which is what I usually write markdown in, and then just commit that to the repo and be done. That's the way to do it. Sounds like the way to do it to me. I don't, what do I know? Well, the way I do it right now does not require a commit to the repo for content. It just, whenever Contentful triggers a build, it triggers a build for the production build, which rebuilds and the content comes from Contentful. But then you don't have a single source of truth. I do. It's called Contentful. So even if the website doesn't exist, the blogs still exist. So what I don't know. You're, the local files that you're writing are different from what's in Contentful? Well, the local files that I'm writing wouldn't exist in that case because all the content is on Contentful. There's just there's this literally one template in Gatsby for blog article. But you're still, you're not writing in Contentful's editor, though. Yeah, I am right now. You're writing Markdown in their editor? 
Right now I'm writing rich text in their editor, yeah. But you don't want rich text. I know, point. but you can write markdown in their editor. You can actually programmatic. I could write a CMS that would programmatically create a, an art. You could, they have a full CMS. I could create any, I could create my own markdown entry field that curl like that re- does markdown <laughs> that literally does markdown and then sends that markdown content over to contentful which then creates a node of like article type with all the fields set and publishes it and then triggers circle ci like i could do that if i wanted to that that sounds i mean i mean there's probably a very terrible. easy react markdown Plug in somewhere. Ask our friend uh, Dan Abramoff what he does. I'm pretty sure he has a circle YAML in his repo, so maybe that's the way he's going. Because all of his all of his posts are in his repo, and he's using the bog standard Gatsby blog starter template. And I think the only other things he's installed are the RS, RSS feed uh, plugins, and I think something to manage images. Hmm. But other than that, it's all just in the repo. He doesn't. I mean, I manage images in Contentful, but I do also have. He doesn't have that many images. I have key CDN, but key CDN doesn't even load the images because the images are stored on contentful. But he's also typically he's pointing to like external images, like a Giphy or something. Yeah. In this particular article, I had images. That's the other thing is I need to do like a whole overhaul of every image on my site because I just screen grab them from places and there's no like artistic integrity to it or like any kind of consistency. A lot more work. I got a lot more work to do, but a lot more work. most of it's there. You'll have to let us know how that goes. Anyways, that should go in Report the post that. show because it was a tangent. So now you should do the thing where you pause like I wasn't talking and go, Greg, do you have a pick? Greg, do you have a pick? Yeah, sure. I do. What's your pick? So as you're aware, you sold me uh, a camera. I did sell you a camera, yes. And I've been using it and I bought a few things for it. Tell us. Tell us, tell us these things you bought. The, I guess the pick would probably be the most recent one, which is I got a, a tripod that was not terribly expensive, and it's pretty awesome. It's a Sirui, S-I-R-U-I, NT105X. A terrible product name. But I've seen does said tripod, and make, it looks really nice. Does anybody make cool product, cool names? So it's aluminum and it compresses to like basically a foot and a half thing. Goes in a little bag, which is crazy because the last, the other tripod that I have is my mom's old tripod from when she used to do a lot of photography, which is a Gitzo. And it's like a super crazy, like insane metal, like 20 pound Gitzo that doesn't even compress to like a small thing. Yeah, but Gitzos are also like, that's the last tripod you'll ever. Yeah, buy. this thing is like never going to break. Yeah, there, there's an entire subset of tripods now that are smaller and lighter, which is an, it was a subset that did not exist even like 10 years ago. Yeah, so. and also sometimes the lightness doesn't really help because the camera's heavy. So like the Gitzo can hold like literally anything and it would never fall over. Yeah. And Whereas it's, it's, this it's one might weight, fall yeah. over. Yeah. So it's uh it's got one of the ball type heads. What are they called? The 360 ball head? Called a ball head. It's cool. And it has a 360 panorama base, which is pretty cool. And the other cool thing about it is that one of the legs of the tripod unscrews and it becomes a monopod. Yes, that is a neat feature I've seen. My my uh, tripod has that feature as well. Um, that's pretty cool. Is it? Have you taken on any trips or have you been using it at all? I went with my friend uh, 
my friend Bill came over yesterday and we went to the uh, Griffith Observatory and took a bunch of photos. Oh, nice. And I, and I was trying to do long exposure photos and it didn't really work out that great. But it was pretty cool. I mean, he has like, he has this whole crazy setup with like a 360 video thing. He does these really cool 360. And let me show you one of the photos he does. He, he does like this insane like 360 photos that use his, he has the new Canon mirrorless. And he does like crazy 360s. Oh. Like he's that like, looks like something you get out of a, like a GoPro Fusion or something. That's pretty cool. He's like really good at it. That's pretty neat. Yeah, so he does like the world, the world things where it like creates a little orb world. That's pretty neat. So we went and did that. Uh, he also took this photo. Pretty cool. I have taken that exact same photo. <laughs> yeah, everybody has. We... um. Yes, I've been hiking to that exact same spot. I've taken that exact same photo. So it's a it's a photo of the Hollywood sign, mm-hmm. um, that is kind of right below where the, the actual observatory proper is. Like there's a there's that like really steep part right right before you get to the actual observatory. From right there, and you can see the sign. That's a good time of day to go to because you get a, a lot of nice layers from the hills that are closer to you versus the hills that are further away. So it's a good shot. Yeah, it's a good spot. So, yeah, I used that, and then I used that uh, adapter. You had the the little adapter for the camera that allows it to go either way. Yeah, the oh, the L-bracket. The L-bracket. I used that works perfectly on the tripod. So it's a nice little setup. That's fantastic. Tripods are very important. Um, there are a whole slew of tripods out there these days. Uh, it's one of those things where you can spend, like, a little bit of money and get something pretty good. But you can also spend like a ton of money on a tripod and get something that'll, that'll last you the rest of your life. Like there are no bad options really when it comes to tripods. Yeah, I just wanted a simple one because I never used, I like, I didn't always like, and I want to get into astrophotography. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to get a, like a decent tripod that's light because I want to be able to take it with me hiking. And then the other thing is I wanted the mirrorless that you sold me because I wanted to have a small camera kit. Yeah. So I only have like one or two lenses Yep. For it. Like a smaller, more portable, simpler, quicker yeah. interface. Yeah. That's it, that's one of the really good use cases for yeah. Sony. It also takes better photos than my 7000. Well, it's a much newer camera. I mean, that's not, that's just. I think the 7000 can take better photos, but I never, I never use it because it's so much more. Like, I like its interface more and it's more physical as opposed to the menus. Like, the menus in the Sony are horrible. Um, but the that is the one knock on on the Sony's is that the menu systems are confusing and difficult to get through. It's bad UX. Yeah, I did find out that the new they have a new image edit mobile app that replaces the Sony Play Memories or whatever. Yes, we talked about that. Yeah, and it. But one thing I did figure out is that it can actually control the camera shutter. Yes, and it'll a whole, send the video to the camera. There's a whole phone. like suite of little control apps that are also part of the Play Memories log. There's a intervalometer in there. There's a Remote shutter, there's all kinds of stuff in there. Are they in the Play Memories app or are they in that like app family kit? Because I couldn't find them on the App Store. Previously, you would download any of the like the anything in their app ecosystem from the Play Memories app. Because I downloaded that and all it is is a social network now. And it was very annoying. So it might be different. I, I haven't used that camera in, in quite some time, so I don't really know. Hmm. Well, that's, that's that's what I got. So, Albert, do a pick. I have to say a thing. We'll have a link oh, in the show notes to the tripod in the show notes. Hmm. My pick this week. Yeah, Albert, do a pick. I have Can two you picks. put it on the screen? I have two picks. Yeah. 
well, these picks are are coffee related. So uh, I'm a person who drinks a lot of coffee. Mm. I've been enjoying a lot of coffee. I'm not quite like super snobby with the coffee, but I do enjoy like trying different beans from different places. And I mean, then seeing, by default, you're already a snob now. Well, it's just like different. You can taste the difference of how different roasters, how different bean people uh, do the beans mm. and what sources they come from and things like that. So uh, I have two places that are worth checking out uh, if you are into coffee and would like to try some different coffees. First one mm-hmm. is a place here in Los Angeles called Unincorporated Coffee Roasters. They are, they come in very like nondescript brown paper bags. Uh, they are located, uh, I want to say Pasadena, but like the north part, like like the, like almost not Pasadena. Um, they have a very kind of unassuming shop, uh, but they make great beans and they're very nice people. Uh, I've also stopped by. They've had little stands at uh, various farmers market around town. I've been to, so they make uh, they make very good espresso drinks for you right there. But I also bought beans from them. So uh, I got their espresso beans. Previously, and I've been making cold brew and not lattes, but I actually make pour over with espresso every once in a while because I'm a weirdo like that. Uh, but their beans are great. Their beans are very unpretentious, and the people are super nice, and they're not very like uppity about the coffee. It's just good coffee beans. So mm. if you uh, like espresso, they are worth checking out. The other one that I'm going to mention is a roaster called 49th Parallel Coffee Roasters. This is one I mentioned because you and I went and had coffee that one day and we bought beans. Oh, yeah. The beans are delicious. In the coffee place. So these are the beans. This is the roaster that provided those beans to that shop hmm. that we went to. So, that was really good. Uh, I, again, got espresso from them. Specifically, I'm looking at it right now. It's called the Old School Espresso. This one is interesting because it's a little bit of a lighter roast. Typically, espresso is very, very dark. Dark roast. Like really dark. Mm-hmm. But this is a, a little bit lighter, not too light. It's not quite like a medium roast. It's still dark, but it's not like a full-on black beetle dark roast. Hmm. Uh, so that was interesting. I've, ma- I've been making some uh, cold brew. I've been making a lot of cold brew lately uh, with those beans. And it's a little bit of a different flavor, but it's been really, really good. It's kind of a little bit of a switch up. If, if typical cold brew espresso for you is too syrupy and too much bite into it this is definitely one worth worth checking out uh, really good beans you said you you got the beans as well you got the uh got the regular one you got the ethiopian i think and so yeah, they have really an ethiopian uh, really really good stuff for all the different kinds of coffees that you make in your life so we'll have a link to both those in the show notes definitely check them out show them some love and make delicious coffee let us know how it goes Greg, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, where, where can we tell people where your site is now? I just said I have to do a bunch of things to fix it. But it's live though. Can we, I mean. Yeah, I mean technically it's live okay, and it so doesn't have a fake blog post anymore. Does it have a real blog post though? Yeah, it doesn't okay. have a fake one anymore. It's, it's real. Can you tell us where to go to go to the site? Yeah, it's gregorski.me. Gregorski.me. And we'll have a link to the actual blog post. And then you yeah. can click around. If you have suggestions on how he can improve his site. Oh, man. You should add him on Twitter. There's a contact box that sends me an email. You could do that too. M- very many ways to get in touch with Greg about his website. I think Twitter's the best one. I think, I think Twitter's the best one. Totally. He's at Gregorski. I'm at Al Park. The show is at a public function. We tweet there every time a new episode goes up. Early Tuesday mornings, Pacific Standard Time. 
usually when I'm done with the entire process. We're also on the web in a couple of different places, publicfunction.show, episode number 32, the at backslash 032. All the other episodes are there, all the other artwork, all the other show notes, all the tags, pictures of our smiling faces, publicfunction.show, that's the place to be. We're also on dev.2, backslash public function. All of our episodes are there. Shout out to Ben Halpern. Shout out to the whole team over at Dev Talk 2. Letting us stay amongst the hallowed you halls. You always say that, hallowed halls. Of the amazing... It's just a, such a fantastic tech community there. I learn a lot just by reading other people's... I've been reading it a lot more than Medium lately. Yes. I find it a much better dev community, but also just a better like reading experience mm-hmm. uh, than Medium. Because... Medium on a phone is unusable at this point. Well, Medium now, every single time you open something, it's like, buy me. And I'm like, no. Buy me, sign in, cookies. Like, you literally cannot see any of the actual... Anyway, Dev.2 is amazing. If you're at any level of developer, go check them out. We are there. Other fantastic podcasts are there. Other very awesome tech people are there. Go check them out. We'll have links in the show notes as well. We also have a Discord. Link mm-hmm. to the Discord is in the show notes. Anybody can join. Anybody who has a link can join. I'm there. Greg's there. There are notifications there when the new episodes go up as well. So feel free to join there. Make fun of us. Ask Greg why he doesn't blog more. Ask him why XML is a thing. Ask him why he doesn't love TypeScript, even though it is exactly the thing that he should love in his whole life. It's the perfect programming language for him. Discord is the place to do that. We're having a lot of fun there. Definitely check us out. What I need more in my life is strongly typed languages. Yes, that's... You would not have a good time with not strongly typed languages. A lot of your problems with JavaScript are because... I can't wait to go back to non-typed languages. (laughs) We'll talk talk about that later. Um, Anything else? Anything else you want to go over with us? Anything else we need to... I don't think I've ever had a problem with JavaScript typing. Unless the undefined is not a function thing. Yeah. That's, yes, that's the only one. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. Undefined is not a function. Totally. Public function is a function. Mm-hmm. There's a joke in there, so. Totally. Greg, anything else you want to shout out? No. Okay. We will see you next week. Yep. Oh, there's new scroll bars. Did you update your Linux or something? No, it's a new new major version of Bitwig. New major version of Bitwig. It went from 2.5 to 2.12. No, 2.5. 16. 1. 32. To 3.01. Wait, say it again because I was talking over you. 2.51 to 3.01. I remember reading about this. The, the, the new major version has uh, some new like instruments and some new interfaces in it. They, Are you they make do a, theme a really song? good job. Well, remember this piece of software that we're using to record this is designed to be a full-on like professional music making piece of software in the same vein as like Ableton or uh, FL Studio or Logic or any of that kind of thing. And I mean, feature-wise, I mean, this thing was built by a bunch of devs that used to work for Ableton, which is kind of like the the main one that people use these days. And a lot of the features, 
there, there's a lot of feature parity between this piece of software and Ableton and a lot of the other pieces. Seems of like they laughed and then stole technology ideas. You're gonna what, what kind of ideas are they stealing? Technologies around sound forms. Using forms. You, use more than one track to record audio. Patented. Pat- <laughs> Patented it. Is that like how um, uh, people are trying to patent the shape of their TVs and their phones and stuff? I patented the shape of water. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I wrote a story about a lizard before that guy did. Oh, yeah? yeah. Can't I, I mean, a lizard man. Lizard man, yeah. Lizard man. Very yeah. specific. Anybody who's written a story about a lizard man, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Better have, talk, have talk your to me. people talk to me. call Guillermo's people. Yeah. See what's going on. I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't do that. <laughs> Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. All right. You got to pick something from this list, man. Did you record? Um, we're recording right now, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, what about yeah. non-JS Langs? Oh. I feel like we've been doing that a lot. I mean, we've been doing that a lot, but we can talk about maybe languages about like that we don't know that much yet. Good. We can talk about Python. We can talk about what other non... Play the theme song, put the thing on the screen, and let's go. Three, two... One. And we're live. Hey, man. How's, how's it going? How you doing? Put that up on the screen. I totally just listened to your album in the gym today. Totally. I'm, fr- I'm pretty sure he's. I have that. to be like really close to this mic to talk to it. I mean, you can adjust it out if you want. Oh, man. See, I, you and I are using these things in different ways, and this is how. Oh, God. I'm losing a screw. This is where. I didn't lose the screw. This is where there's many ways to skin, skin a cat comes from. Many right? ways. I need to use this to make sure that I stay a certain distance away from But the how microphone. are you so much louder? Is it because you're yelling? I, I think I turned my thing up a little bit. Oh, am I, I like loud? I just can't hear myself loud enough? You're fine. Your levels are fine. Your level's fine. My level's fine. All the levels How do you make the fine. levels? Did you do the peaking level test? Uh, there's a couple different ways. I have... Pew, pew. <laughs> pew. Pew. That's actually a good one because it pew, can pew, pew. test the plosives, which is also something that these things. I don't have plosives. Oh, well, anything you if you say the word plosives, you have plosives. No. Please bring pizza pronto. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Please bring pizza pronto. Actually, that does help. Wow. Okay, that actually is helping quite a bit. Hmm. But you're see the thing the thing you're doing now is you're talking directly into the microphone. You need to not do that. What must I turn it? So before you were talking, like you're doing this like thing where you're talking sideways. What if I'm talking this? Not fully like that. What about... See, I do the thing where I point it directly to the corner of my mouth like this. That's weird. You're like a dentist. I went to the dentist last week. Yeah, how was that? It's great. I have good teeth. It's you fun. have great teeth? I have mostly good teeth. I have one tooth in the back that's finally come out. Oof. That's bad. Um, Soon? It is, Immediately? Uh, Tomorrow? It was causing me a little bit of right pain now. before, but I think it's okay. It's a Why don't you go to get it removed? Uh, don't you have like great stuff, great benefits? That's not That's not it. It's more finding time to do it. And also I'm kind of like... I'm afraid of the dentist. I'm a little bit indifferent. Like it's not really bothering me. It's not really in pain it, or anything. Yeah, until it is. Until one day it becomes a problem. Then it is a problem. And well, you I, root canal. Root canals. So I never had one, but I've heard they're like bad. It's not a root canal kind of situation. It's more of a... Um, Somehow it got like damaged and there's a big chunk of it missing and like it started growing in kind of crooked. So mm. a combination of these things. Um, I saw two different dentists and they both said that it should probably come out. Which is fine. I'll do it eventually. We could do it right now. Oh yeah? On air. I yeah. got some pliers around here somewhere. I got some needle noses. I don't know if you could actually pull a tooth out with needle nose pliers. 
challenge except no <laughs> no i'm pretty sure it was just like you need like the big vicey grip ones because it'll you probably could no you just have, slide off no, the only thing you have to do is that you have to yank my head one way and the tooth the other way people think it's just it's just force on one side you can get it out no it's gotta be both directions so you gotta have somebody like king kong my jaw is that what they do in the dentist's office that is king kong your jaw with a thing in there well no you're like knocked out and then they have uh i'm pretty sure they like chop it up into bits or something like they do they do things to make it easier. They subdivide the tasks into smaller tasks, put them into individual swim lanes, and move them across the columns. Are you saying they can man board your tooth? <laughs> There's a Jira board for my tooth. Mm, that's a- weird. And when all the chunks of tooth are moved over to the done column, that's the definition of done. Yeah, and then you have a release. Yes, and then you have a release. 0. 0. 0.0.1, Alfred. Alfred. <laughs> Alfred. Albert teeth. I was thinking of the coffee shop. Ah, whatever. There's an Alfred coffee shop? Yeah, it has dope coffee. It's on, Where's it's this on Alfred? the east side, though. Oh, east side? In Silver Lake. East side. I was mm. actually going to... I have a, a couple of coffee picks for my picks today. Didn't mention. Greg, mm. what are we talking about today? We just talked about it. You want to talk about... Wait, are we talking about Jira? Because <clears throat> we just talked about Jira. I don't want to talk about Jira. That's the most boring conversation ever. What about how to improve Jira? I bet you have some thoughts about that. Make it simpler. Oh, how? Remove features.